You're listening to Talking Smart. The official podcast of the International Association of Sheet Metal, Gear, Rail, and Transportation Workers. This is Paul Pimentel, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Ben Nagy from Smart TD in Cleveland, and Michael Blaine from Smart Communications. As we have done for the past year, we are recording remotely due to the pandemic. Welcome to the 13th episode of Talking Smart. Each month we bring you news, guests, and discussions of interest to smart members and working families across the United States and Canada. This episode, we continue our focus on April as Smart Army Month of Community Action. Started in 2017, The Smart Army is a key vehicle for engaging in our communities, raising our visibility, and highlighting the important work that smart members do, as well as the essential services we provide. It is also a great way to improve our image in our local communities, whose collective support we count on to back new union-built projects, new transit funding, and the high workplace and training standards that are the foundation of good union jobs for our families and for our communities. In previous years, during the Smart Army Month of Community Action, we have cleaned up parks, hosted youth fishing derbies, built and repainted new facilities for local youth sports leagues, planted trees, and donated time to local groups and causes, among many other events. While the pandemic limits some in-person activities, many smart locals have socially distanced or virtual Smart Army activities planned for this month. Contact your local union for details. Our featured guest this episode is Matt Gugala, an organizer with Smart Local 265 and a Smart Army coordinator for the state of Illinois. Brother Gugala has been in the sheet metal trade since 1995, and he was accepted to the apprenticeship program in 2002. He's worked on a wide variety of projects, including residential sheet metal, custom fabrication, commercial industrial service and testing and balancing. He was also a subject matter expert in developing the ITI's TAB Supervisor Test. In 2019, Matt was one of the inaugural winners of the Joseph J. Nigro Smart Army Service Award for Outstanding Community Service and Leadership, along with Ronnie Hobbs of Smart TD from Local 854 in Virginia, and he was the guest on our last episode. Matt Gugala talked with us about a recent Smart Army project by Illinois locals to gather and deliver a large quantity of bottled water to Texas residents who were in need of clean water after the severe winter storm that they experienced in February. So all in total, we ended up with about 60,000 bottles of water heading down to Texas. You could go in a store and maybe buy a pop or buy some juice or something like that. Maybe not so much juice, but you could buy pop and you could buy beer but you couldn't get some clean water to drink. So there was definitely a need. So it was, it was that feel good that you did something that was, that was truly needed and very important to the, our brothers and sisters. We also spoke with Matt about his work with the Smart Army around fire life safety legislation in Illinois, which significantly impacts both smart member work hours and public safety. So the fire life safety, extremely important. You know, it's a kind of thing we've been going after for a long time because we see the value is there for our members to get hours in and get to work. It's our training that gets these things installed correctly. 
and then it's the lives that are saved because we installed them correctly and because they get inspected properly after that. In addition, listen for our open mic segment with General President Joseph Sellers. He answers a question from a smart member in New Jersey who asks about what the union is doing to assist members who are looking to run for elected office in their local communities or on the state level. You know, there is an expression out there that if you are not at the table, you are on the menu. And that was certainly true over the past four years. Matt, we'd like to welcome you to the podcast. Hey, Paul. Hey, guys. Good to be here. Before we start, we'd like to get a bit of background on each guest. Matt, can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you got to work as a sheet metal worker? Sure. We're going to go with the hard questions first, right? So before I was a union sheet metal worker, I actually had a non-union company. I worked up through, ended up buying the company. Um, still did pretty well. It was back back uh, late 90s and things were going well. And then 9-11 hit and the housing market kind of took a little bit of a downturn, but it was a major downturn on my end. Um, so so by the end of this, uh, by the end of this, my, my company, uh, I was living in the shop in the back of a box truck couldn't afford the electric and the lights for the, the shop. And uh, so I was living in a recliner, sitting in the back of a box truck at the end of all of that. And then I was fortunate enough that at, at a time I had been extremely busy and I had given some homes to a union contractor that was just starting out. So when all that was happening, uh, I was honestly at the end of my rope. Like I said, it was, it was a bad time. So really at the end of my rope, I was, was basically suicidal. So I ended up making a phone call to those guys that I gave that work to asked them if I could come on. And yeah, they said, yeah, when can you start? So I went in there, they called the hall and said, you know, you got to get this guy in. And the hall said, well, you know, we don't have any room in the apprenticeship. And they said, you know, you've got enough time in, you want to just you know, come through. And I said, no, I'd, I'd like to go to the apprenticeship. And yeah, so I ended up, uh, they, they got me into the apprenticeship and, and the rest is history. It's been fantastic so far. So it's, it's much better than it was. So, uh, I, I noticed you have a little bit of a uh, rich timber to your voice. Uh, and uh, do you have a little bit of a background in media? No, I, I've got the, I got the face for radio. And uh, so once in a while, the Chicagoland area, we do some work with WCPT. I've been on the Tom Hartman show and the Joan Esposito show, um, the Ben Jarofsky show, uh, trying to promote kind of what we do here and uh, promote the union way of life. You know, because of that background, I want to get out and, and let everybody know what we do and how we do it. And just, uh, I can't be more excited about the lifestyle that the union gets you. So, um, so I like to run my mouth about it. And fortunately enough, they let me here, which is awesome. <laughs> you know, and, and actually that's sort of uh, dovetails into what you've done with the Smart Army in 2019. Uh, you were a recipient of that Smart Army Joseph Nigro Service Award at the General Convention. Can you tell us a little bit about how you started your Smart Army program uh, with your local and where it's at today? Yeah, I, I like this show. You guys make me sound much cooler than I actually am. But uh, the way that the Smart Army ended up starting was uh, I had just come on staff. I've been here about four and a half years now, but I had just come on then. And the business manager at the time, the, the director from the IA was, was talking about the Smart Army. There was kind of a buzz about it and, and getting it started. And if I recall correctly, it was one of those where, you know, anybody that wants to do this, take one step forward and everybody else took the step back. And, and then I was the guy. So, uh, so at first it was a little bit daunting, but then it started to build momentum and we started to get to do these events that, you know, I'm like, whoa, I'm actually getting paid to do 
good, cool stuff that's helping the community and getting sheet metal workers out in the face of the rest of society, which was awesome. And then it started to build up from there. At first, it was a little bit of a struggle because they're almost apprehensive, like, why are you calling me to do stuff? Right. But then once we, we tried to put together some things that were actually fun, like we did the prison cleanup or we would do the, the homeless shelter outreach and things like that. And then it started to snowball a little bit where people actually were getting excited about doing it. So, uh, so that's how it all started up. Smart Map is an awareness and action campaign which focuses on the mental health and wellness of smart members. First, this awareness movement highlights the serious problem of substance use disorder and suicide in our industries, then provides resources for treatment and recovery. This mission includes the fight to end stigma facing mental health issues. Next, we train and support Smart Map mentors who work as peer advocates. They are trusted and empathetic members, many of whom have lived experience with mental health issues treatment and recovery. Many of our smart local unions have been trained, so please reach out to your local union leadership or you can contact us through email smartmap at smart-union.org. Hey Matt, this is Michael. So recently you were heavily involved in an, an effort to help out folks in Texas after the severe winter cold snap there. A lot of people lost their plumbing, their pipes froze, they didn't have access to clean water. And you were involved in an effort to collect water in Illinois and ship that down or drive that down to Texas. Can you tell us a little bit about how that idea came about and what it was like and what the reception was like when you got down to Texas? Yeah, for sure. I, I got to say that uh, that the part that you had wrong is that we were involved and, you know, Michael, you were involved and Paul was involved and it was uh, there was a lot of behind the scenes stuff going on with this. Uh, but what we ended up happening was that we had a we had a member. Uh, Tom Siren, who uh, he saw the need and he's a member of Smart Army and saw the need that uh, that this was going on in Texas. Uh, it was all over the media. And Tom reached out to our manager, uh, John Daniel. And this was on a Saturday and they kind of worked it out where they were, they were talking amongst each other. And then they, they ended up uh, texting uh, the organizing department, myself and Brian Dahlman and Ron Micah to come up with an action plan to see what we could do. So by the end of Saturday, we decided that the, the what we were going to do was we were going to try to uh, bring them some water because we could give donations or we could give time, but they can't eat either of those so or drink it. So we decided, okay, let's bring some water down there. So along with uh, the organizers and Tom Sire and everybody went into to action and they started to figure out what does it cost for trucks? Let's put together a budget. And by the end of the weekend, we had had approval from John and approval from our e-board that had an emergency meeting to approve a certain amount of spend to get us to get down to Texas. And then the plan in between uh, Sunday night and Wednesday morning when we left was to try to get people to donate to kind of bring that cost down because we had money allocated for it through the membership, through the e-board, because our membership is extremely generous when it comes to helping others. And so we started to go to work on asking for volunteers and asking for donations and asking for uh, any kind of help that can be given. We had people showing up at the hall with pallets of water. It started getting through the grapevine. I remember I was sitting at my desk and we had a teamster come to the front desk because he had heard about it from somewhere and he had a truckload of water too. You know, it was a pickup truck of water. And so, so the buzz started getting around and then that helped us out because it started to knock that cost down, you know, and started to take some of that away. 
And then even our, our leadership got on board and they were talking to their connections and people they knew to try to get funding for this. And so then by Tuesday evening, Michael Blaine and Paul Pimentel and the team there was on the phone with the media. The media came out. We had WGN Channel 9, which is nationwide. We had CBS come out and they filmed it. They filmed our apprentices loading up uh, the trucks that we had rented. Then it was on the news. And then you had more people that wanted to donate. And we had more water come out. So it was just a just a domino effect of things happening and things happening behind the scenes that was making this thing uh, go kind of crazy. At that point, Local 73, now I'm tooting our horn for getting everything ready from Saturday to Tuesday. Uh, Local 73, they had uh, Dave Sylvester and Jeff Hillary getting everything ready from Sunday night to Tuesday evening. You know, So they had a shorter time. They, they ended up getting the whole truckload down there. Um, so all in total, we ended up with about 60,000 bottles of water heading down to Texas. So then Wednesday morning, we left at uh, a little after 4 a.m. in the morning with uh, Tom Siren, Ron Mike, uh, Brian Dahlman, and myself. We headed straight down to Texas with no stops. You know, some of us wanted to stop, you know, myself primarily. <laughs> okay, we'll take it one day and then the next day. But, uh, but the other guys kept pushing and said, no, we got we to gotta get going. We got to get this down there. Uh, so we kept on going. So Got down to Texas about 8.30 on, geez, on Wednesday. So we left Wednesday morning, got down to Texas, I believe it was 8.30 uh, Wednesday morning. And there were 40 apprentices there to come and help unload all the water that we had. It was like a big assembly line. We did some Instagram, some YouTube and stuff like that. They were there unloading and it was crazy because it was actually refreshing because at the end of that long drive, you're thinking, oh man, I hope somebody's there to help unload it. You know, we expect maybe one or two people, you know, but but no, they, they were there and they, they kicked its butt and they got it. They got it unloaded fast. Stayed overnight one night in Dallas. Next morning, got up 4.30 in the morning again and shot down to Austin. Then they were there and they busted it out, got a forklift, took it all off. We were out of there in probably, I don't know, 20 minutes. It was fast. You know, we did another 20,000 bottles there. And then we headed down to uh, San Antonio and unloaded down there where they were having their, uh, I believe they were having their district council meeting. The hospitality was fantastic. I mean, they were ready to go, ready to work and get it done. And they had obviously a lot of things going on there at the time. But yeah, they were they were ready to hit it. So they were there. We got that all unloaded and then decided we we're going to start heading back. So we, we drove straight back. We didn't stop anywhere, you know, just for gas and such. And so 60,000 bottles and we drove we were in the car for 54 hours and 45 of those 54 hours was was actually driving. We got back Friday after a lot of driving, and then I think I slept all weekend. It's kind of how that whole thing went. It was kind of a whirlwind, but it was very cool. And you all reached out to the Texas locals ahead of time and, and asked them what they needed most, and they, they told you clean water was their biggest need, right? Yeah, so that was a, that was our, our manager, you know, John Daniel. He reached out to the, the managers of the Texas locals, and yes, they said that they could use it. And that was to be true. You know, we got down there, and you could go in the store and maybe buy a pop or buy some juice or something like that. Maybe not so much juice, but you could buy a pop and you could buy beer, but you couldn't get some clean water to drink. So there was definitely a need. So it was, it was that feel good that you did something that was that was truly needed and very important to the our brothers and sisters and, and smart. And uh, between the Illinois locals, you brought or shipped some other stuff too, some plumbing supplies. Uh, yeah, Local 73 bought some plumbing supplies down there, whatever we could bring, whatever we could fit in the truck. I mean, the trucks, by the end of the, the, uh, the loading of the trucks that were, that were overloaded, imagine you driving 65 miles an hour uh, downhill uh, on the highway and then uphill, you watch the speedometer crawl down to 35 miles an hour 
and your foot is on the floor. So yeah, it was it was kind of amazing. You know, I, I've never seen something like that, but yeah, we had everything but the kitchen sink in there. Yeah, it's a great project and a great story. And, and just going back to the media coverage, I think that it underscores that too often the way that media covers unions or union activity, it centers around conflict or a problem, right? They'll only cover when there's a strike or there's an action or they think the union is complaining about something. So it's great to get things like this in the mix, which really drives home that the union isn't this other thing. It's not this outside thing. It's not this third party. It's it's members of the community, working in the community, serving the community, providing essential services and helping out and volunteering and doing things like this. So what, what was it like to see the coverage that you got, especially on WGN, one of the main affiliates there, and, and just to see you all and, and them covering what you're doing on this? What was that like? And what did the members think of that? It was very cool. The members liked it, you know, the business agents, everybody gets a kick out of that whenever they're on screen, you know, so it was kind of cool. We did have people that, you know, members knew or people in our office knew that were sending texts from around the country. You know, I got a text from somebody in Arizona that said, hey, I saw you guys on the news today, you know, very cool. So it did get a lot of coverage. You know, I, I do a lot of our marketing for the I Want Smart program that we have. And so I know a little bit about that stuff and the, the value of being in front of that many people is pretty powerful, and especially when it's the national news or the local news out there. That's it's like free advertising dollars. Not that that's what we're after, but as a byproduct, it shows what the unions are doing and shows what Smart is doing out there with the membership that is that is ready and willing to do these things. You know, so it's, it's super cool. It was awesome. Absolutely, we have a lot of great stories to tell about what we do and what our members do. That's right. So, uh, Matt, you know, you have this great track record uh, with the Smart Army. Obviously, with the pandemic, it's kind of hampered our ability as a union to do the things that we're used to doing. But April is the month of Smart Army Community Action. What do you have going on there, out there in uh, Local 265? And so right now in Illinois, we're still under the, the umbrella of COVID right now. So the, the action is limited currently. However, course it's political season when's it not political season but uh but we're out there with with certain uh, targeted candidates uh we have people installing uh, yard signs or doing door hangers things that they could still stay responsibly socially distanced but um still be out within the community to get some things done so although we're not out there in full force we're still out there in force when it's time to put down your tools take off your hard hat and tear into some gas station delicacies Join Smart Local 110 Sheet Metal Workers on The Break Time Breakdown, where we'll cover everything from what it's like to work during a pandemic to why we should all be like ducks. Head over to www.smart110.org or search for us wherever you get your podcasts. We started a thing. You should check it out. So uh, one of the many hats that you wear, Matt, revolves around pushing for the new legislation. You know, not only are you advocating for politicians, but you're also trying to get the politicians, once they're in office, to understand why particular legislation is necessary uh, at the local level. Uh, this includes fire life safety. You can you tell us a little bit about how important fire life safety is and where exactly you're at as far as uh, getting more understanding about that legislation uh, in your state of Illinois. Yeah, so the fire life safety, extremely important. You know, it's a kind of thing we've been going after for a long time because we see the value is there for our members to get 
hours in and get to work. It, it's the goal of the smart army and the goal of the of the smart union is partial goal is the safety of our communities. It goes hand in hand with everything that we do. You know, it's our training that gets these things installed correctly. And then it's the lives that are saved because we installed them correctly and because they get inspected properly after that. So I think a lot of states, they have criteria of when things should be tested. And in Illinois, that's no different. You know, there was a criteria telling us when things should be tested, but there was no certification or there was no accredited force that was doing the testing. So I think that was the hurdle to cross was to get it through to the affected parties that the life safety component of fire life safety is one that needed to get through. And once we put some heavy hitters up there, we put John Daniel, because like I say, I got the face for radio. So John got up and he testified in front of the Illinois House regarding the fire life safety. We also had John Hamilton, you know, the IA, John Hamilton come out and they were able to convey that message to um, the powers that be, you know, they were with the fire marshals and, and in front of them saying, hey, yes, we understand that these are supposed to be tested. Uh, however, once they brought to light that life safety component, they highlighted the the reason for it is kind of when they really had something that got people to start to hearken up and listen a bit. Matt, can you tell us a little bit about like for people who don't know what fire life safety is in terms of dampers and everything else? It's going to be smoke mitigation because if you have a fire on the first floor of a building, that fire can kill people on all the floors above that, right? because of the way that the HVAC systems are tied together and interrelated. So what the fire life safety bill is looking to do is to do damper inspections to make sure things close when they're supposed to close and they open when they're supposed to open, um, when it can provide fresh air that could help buy some time for people waiting for the, the uh, first responders to get there. It can take smoke and put it to a different section of the building and provide some egress for the people that are, are occupying the building. So as far as legislators go, what they have to realize is just because the component is installed, if it's not working, it doesn't do anything. And the life safety component is what has to be focused on when it comes to passing these responsible fire life safety bills. Uh, and currently the one that we have, so again, John went and testified in front of the, the Illinois House. And right now it's in committee. After a couple adjustments to it, they, they said, yes, you make these adjustments and there is no issue. There are no parties that are looking at it and in opposition currently. So it's a bill that is in committee with no opposition that's ready to go through and get passed. So we're very excited about that. Matt, you know, it's, it's, it's an important issue out there and, and it's been getting a lot of traction around the country, right? In Illinois, places like New Mexico, West Virginia, there was some traction. There's been traction in Pennsylvania. lot of different states on this and it's continuing to grow and it's because of the hard work on the ground put in by you and others around the country and spreading the word about this to legislators and to fire marshals and people around the country. Yeah and I think some of the focus that's been put out there um, you know I guess if you had to find a, a silver lining in something like the pandemic is we're looking at these systems and we're looking at are people getting the proper ventilation? Is the indoor air quality correct? Are the dampers working? If, if something happens, are we able to get the people out safely? Um, are we able to partition off buildings in case we want to change the, the dynamic of the room? If we want to make something isolated, you, know, you can do those kind of things with systems that actually work or when you design systems to work. So when they're installed by smart contractors and smart members, you're getting to that point where they're actually going to work. And then when you have legislation that is going to say, okay, now that it's been installed properly, let's make sure that it functions properly and continues to function for the life of the building or the life of the building is going to be occupied.
so Matt, one of the things that, that we've noticed recently and that, that a lot of members not maybe aware of is in the American Rescue Plan, and there's also some of this coming up in this infrastructure bill that just got introduced yesterday, is there are funds dedicated to retrofits, public buildings, schools, things of that nature, especially when it comes to air systems. Uh, we know through COVID that not only are schools, are students impacted through the air systems when they are at school, and especially, you know, the importance of proper ventilation and all that. But we also have learned, and one thing that might that the public may not be aware of, is that um, the flu and also just indoor air quality, it affects not just kids catching the flu and getting sick at school, but it also affects kids' cognitive abilities in the classrooms, right? If they're not getting adequate air, clean air, that affects them, their ability to think, their ability to concentrate. Uh, what do you see the state of the schools there in Illinois? Do you see a demand there? Oh, there's absolutely a demand. Before I was uh, took this job, I was a test and balance supervisor. So I worked in test and balance for, for a lot of years. And yes, not just the schools, but the office buildings, you know, you, you find that to save money, but understandably, uh, what they do is a lot of times an office building or a, uh, a maintenance guy will, will shut down the outside air or they'll limit it, you know, uh, because it costs a lot to heat and cool air from the outside. So yeah, it's, there's definitely a need to revisit, you know, as I had said before, it's, it's great that we're going to be looking at these systems and saying, okay, now we know we got it. It kept us warm and it kept us cool. But does the thing actually work the way we need it to work? And what can we do with it now that, it, that it's installed? So, yeah, I think there's definitely a need for it. I do see you know, on the organizing side, because I am an organizer with Local 265, and, and we monitor jobs and see what's coming up and, and kind of keep track of the trends. And we are seeing that some of that money is already starting to filter through to get change outs of a lot of municipal equipment. And, yeah, so that's going to create a lot of jobs for SMART as a whole. So one of the things that, that you've done in Illinois, the locals of Illinois have done, is you guys have kind of taken the initiative there and started the Breathe Easy Illinois campaign. Yeah. Reaching out to people about indoor air quality in Illinois. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So Smack the Greater Chicago, and then we have Brian Dahlman on our end, and, and uh, Dave Sylvester on his Local 73 end, is, is looking at this initiative called Breathe Easy Chicago, where they are Breathe Easy Illinois. And they are having some good media focused towards the building owners and the maintenance guys and the people that are involved in making sure that the indoor air quality is what it's supposed to be. So they put together some good literature, some good advertising, some good marketing, and they're getting together collectively and spending some marketing dollars and SMACNA is getting together on that too to get the word out and try to get it to the right people so they understand the importance of indoor air quality with COVID and all this stuff that can affect it we're being focused on. You know, Matt, this is, this is a big issue, and this is almost a once-in-a-generation opportunity for our industry to take center stage when it comes to reopening this country back up and changing the shape of this country and how it works, how it moves. You know, we really appreciate what you're doing out there, you're doing through the Smart Army, and also what you all are doing in terms of taking the initiative on this issue as well in Illinois. And uh, we hope to see a lot more of that around the country. And, and we know we're seeing a lot more of that happening as we start moving through the century. I really want to thank you for being here. You're a credit to Local 265 and to this union. We really appreciate having you on today. All right. Thank you guys for all that you do. And, uh, and please keep up the good work. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. All right, guys. Take care. You're listening to Talking Smart. Mobilize, organize, unionize. Do you have story ideas or have a question for the general president 
or union leadership. Call us toll-free at 844-984-0947 with your questions or ideas. Once again, 844-984-0947. General President Sellers, we would like to welcome you back to the Open Mic segment of this podcast. It's good to have you with us today. Uh, thank you, Paul, Michael, and Ben. Thanks for the invite to the open mic section. I, I, I really do enjoy doing this, listening to our members and answering their questions. So thanks. This question comes from brother James Quattuccio, who's a local 22 sheet metal worker from northern New Jersey. Hi, this question is for General President Sellers. Uh, with unions and being in unions and unionization now, more of the public discourse than in recent years past and being in a union becoming more politicized and a political stance more than in recent times past. How is the national strategy turning to look to incentivize members who maybe have an inclination to get involved more and to help become pro-labor candidates? Well, thank you, James. Thank you for your question. And it is especially relevant now. We have a fresh memory of the prior administration and their corporate programs. And the burden was always borne on the backs of workers. In contrast, President Biden is building the middle class with good union jobs. The President, U.S. House and Senate put workers first, as shown throughout their first 100 days and the passage of the American Rescue Act. Over time, I would ask elected officials, where is the voice of labor? And I would ask that on many topics safety and jobs, the economy, policy. You know, there is an expression out there that if you are not at the table, you are on the menu. And that was certainly true over the past four years. In many cases, the rules in which we operate are made by elected officials. Rules made by men and women who we choose to elect. The rich and powerful use their influence and their contributions for their best interests. And so must we, for worker values, for union values, We strongly encourage our members who are interested in running for office to do so. Nobody has a better life experiences and understanding of the issues facing workers than you, our members. The voice of working families must be heard by elected officials. The influence of having working Americans in elected office directly impacting and making policy decisions is powerful. The ability for our members to affect change for workers to keep us off the menu is an awesome opportunity and responsibility. James, in New Jersey, over 1,500 union members have ran for local elected office since 1997. Smart is working on a similar program, building on the success of New Jersey. We encourage and provide support for members to consider running for public office. If you are interested, reach out to your sheet metal business manager or your transportation division legislative rep to help you get started. Thank you to the members who have ran in the past for both political parties. Being a pro-labor candidate will help keep us off the menu. Thank you, James, for your question. The labor movement in your state has been a model. Thank you all, and please stay safe. Thank you, General President Sellers, for that answer. And thank you, James, for that question. That's a really good question and a good topical question for this point in time where we are at with the labor movement. I want to thank you, General President Sellers, for being on the podcast today. We look forward to hearing from you in our next episode. Thank you all. It's great to be here, and I appreciate the questions, and please keep them coming. Have a good day.